Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntra is here. I'm live in my uh, Classic Rock Studios uh, in downtown Chicago, and I'm happy to bring you uh, this episode because John K. Snyder III has an excellent Kickstarter campaign to revive and bring back uh, one of his 80s books, Fashion in Action. Fashion in Action was a series from Eclipse Comics in the mid-80s. It was uh, classic noir uh, with uh, a mix of great 80s fashion. John talks about his influences on the series. And uh, what he's doing is he's in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign that really needs your help. He's about $5,000 short of reaching his goal, which would be to collect the entire series, uh, which uh, shared the uh, book space in Scout, Tim Truman's book, for eight issues, and then had two fashion and action single-issue specials that came out subsequently. And um, that's all being collected in a very nice volume. It includes... A forward from John Ostrander, an excellent article about paper dolls, which was one of the features of Fashion in Action by the great Trina Robbins. Hope Nicholson, our friend who's been on many times on Word Balloon, helped John put this project together. And she's like, hey, would you like to talk to John about this? And absolutely, because I'm a big John K. Snyder fan. Uh, things like uh, his collaboration with Tim Truller on The Prowler, a great uh, 80s book that featured the return of a pulp hero, kind of a shadow-like character. We talk about that. Also, a great book that he did with Steve Siegel uh, right around... Uh, I want to say 1999 or so, but it was uh, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, and it was the retelling of his first meeting with Solomon Grundy. Um, that, and we talk about uh, John co-creating uh, the uh, Peter Cross version of uh, Dr. Midnight for the JSA with Matt Wagner, his work on Grendel with Matt. Lots of great stuff, and of course, can't help it because we love our 80s movies, and John and I uh, accidentally detour into a conversation about James Garner, who we both have such appreciation for. But uh, really good stuff. John also worked on The Suicide Squad. We get his thoughts on the upcoming Suicide Squad movie and his hopes that uh, maybe uh, he and uh, John can come back, Ostrander, and uh, do a new Suicide Squad using uh, today's technology. Really great conversation with John K. Snyder, and I have a feeling it's not going to be the only time uh, John shows up on Word Balloon. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. If you want to help contribute to the cause of Word Balloon, uh, go to wordballoon.com, and uh, right on the front page, uh, you'll hear information on how you can subscribe to Word Balloon. Word Balloon's free. It's always going to be free. But if you want to help the cause, that's the way to do it. Go to wordballoon.com and check out our Patreon account. And uh, if you want to support us that way, that's great. The best way to support Word Balloon, as I always tell you, though, let a friend know that you like the show, and they might like the show, too. So without further ado, I'm bringing you my conversation with John Snyder. It was on the phone, so it, I'm on Skype and he's on the phone, but it sounds like a phone-to-phone -phone conversation. Clear enough audio, though. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get to it now on Word Balloon. John K. Snyder, welcome to Word Balloon. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I, I'm a, I'm a longtime fan. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Man, I remember the, the Eclipse days, and um, I remember Fashion in Action but I'll, I'll confess that, honestly, The Prowler was, I think, the the big thing that I gravitated to because I was a big Pulp fan, and I and I really appreciated that, that story you did with Tim Truman as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks. That's cool. What uh, Can I ask you about that uh, project before we get into fashion and oh, action? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, anything you'd like to hear? Any questions? Uh... I suppose we should uh, start with your relationship with Tim Truman because I'm assuming that is how – Fashion in Action got in, in the back of Scout, am I right? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, tell me about uh, how, how did you know Tim and how did you guys get together? Okay, well, uh, uh, well, let's see. Uh, Tim and I uh, first met uh, at a, a small convention at a high school in uh, Indiana. I was uh, actually uh, doing uh, the program art for a production of Warp at a local theater in Indianapolis. Uh, Warp was a uh, play that first came out of the Chicago area that was adapted into a first comic. Uh, so anyway, I believe I was uh, representing for the play at a table there at the uh, at the small show, and that's where I met Tim, and he was with uh, Mike Gold, uh, who was editor at first at the time, John mm -hmm. Ostrander, yep. and uh, that was the first time I had met Tim, and I had shown him a uh, some of my work. And he was very enthusiastic, and we started uh, corresponding with each other. 
and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, he asked me if I would be interested in trying to do some work with him. And I actually went to stay with him and his family uh, sometime later to work on uh, him, assisting him on Time Beavers, which was a graphic novel that uh, we did uh, for first. And I was uh, an apprentice, basically, for him. And uh, during the time I was working with him on that, he had brought up the concept of doing Scout, uh, and he, had, he was talking about having a backup feature and liked a lot of sketches that I had done in, my, in the back of my, well, throughout my sketchbook of all these various types of characters uh, influenced by all the music I was listening to at the time. And I had all these like femme fatale, kind of futuristic femme fatale characters, and he was suggesting that I kind of tie all that in together and put that together as some sort of series uh, to, to present as a feature along with Scout. And that was the origin of that. That's how that all kind of, kind of came together. And, uh, you know, during the process of the time period that I was doing uh, fashion and action for, um, you know, as, as a feature in Scout and then later on in the independent, uh, the, the two uh, one-shots that I did afterwards, mm -hmm. uh, Tim and I were discussing other things to do. And this is when Tim was putting together the whole Four Winds uh, project, which was going to involve Chuck Dixon and uh, other artists and writers. And there was going to be a line of titles, and this is where the concept of the Prowler first started coming together, which was kind of going to be this variation on, you know, uh, sort of uh, down on his luck. What if, like, the shadow was down on his luck and lived in the Chelsea Hotel, you know? And, <laughs> like a retirement hotel. Yeah, exactly, you know, and uh, in New York, and, and, uh, and then decided to take on, you know, decided to become to go back into uh, the fray of things, but wanted to enlist a young apprentice. And, you know, we talked about that, and that started to come together. Uh, and this was right around the time I was winding up my work on Fashion and Action, and that's when we started working on Prowler shortly thereafter. Crazy. Crazy. No, I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I mean, it was around the same time as Dark Knight, and it had that flavor to it, but again, with, with a pulp hero and... Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a lot of fun. It's weird though. I mean, I, I'm glad you like your art so your art so much because fashion and action and scout, you wouldn't think of those two things necessarily being in the same book. I mean, in the one, on the one sense, they were different futures, mm -hmm. but, um, I, uh, I'm interested in the fact that you were obviously influenced by, by the music scene of the eighties. And uh, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a guy that's well over forty, and I and I remember the the mid '80s well. I went, I wonder about some of the bands that likely might have uh, influenced Fashion in Action, or some of the uh, some of the lead singers or whatever you know of the time. Can you can you rattle through some of your music? Oh influences? sure, I mean I could go on for quite some time about that. I mean <laughs> I, I really I really did. Uh, uh, I was very fortunate. I I grew up in a period where there's you know there was uh, uh, you know I lived in the Washington D.C. area. So okay. there was a lot of music that was available to me. I mean, there were a lot of different venues, and 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 frankly, I really didn't go to a lot of large concert, uh, you know, like a Capitol Center or anything like that. There were more smaller venues, uh, like uh, the Bayou in Georgetown and the 930 Club, of course, uh, cool. on F Street in uh, Northwest in D.C., and uh, a number of other places, the Ontario Theater, which was an old movie theater uh, where a lot of concerts were. Uh, there was also a, uh, a medium-sized uh, music auditorium, Ritchie Coliseum, uh, that was in, uh, I think, the University of Maryland. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I some of the bands that I that I guess that I saw during that period, uh, I saw the Pretenders, the the original sure. the original group, and and um, you know seeing uh, female singers like Chrissy Hind, you know, perform. She had a tremendous stage presence. Uh, I saw Joan Jett. Uh, I believe this was just a couple of years after the Runaways had broken up, and again, uh, this was a very small venue, so they had a very clear view of of the performance, and it was just very, very powerful. And uh, I just couldn't help but draw these, you know, characters and and everything that I was seeing around me in my sketchbooks, and uh, it just kind of came out in my work. And then I then later on, you know, in some of the videos, uh, specifically, and I've mentioned this before uh, in some interviews, that you know when I first saw the uh, first Eurythmics uh, video for "Sweet Dreams Are Made of These" with uh, sure. Annie Lennox, and it, it's it's funny to describe this because you know this was I believe pre MTV, 
and really the main place that I would see videos would be like actually in a club or a bar and they'd be projected on various television screens. And it had just a Absolutely. very different sort of, you know, you really felt like you were kind of in on something that other people weren't into. And uh, uh, it was like something new and something different. And it wasn't like something that just anybody could see. And it had this kind of special quality to it, you know, when you were seeing it with a group of other people. It's, you know, like I said, it's a, you know, kind of a nightclub type of setting. So, you know, when Annie Lennox showed up and she had the close cropped orange hair and the and the suit and tie and very commanding figure in the video, I mean, it was just absolutely riveting to me, and uh, very inspirational when I was designing Francis and uh, and and a combination of other things as well. I understand, man. I mean, these were my high school and college years, so you know, yeah, that that music certainly spoke to me, and I was a big new wave fan, and certainly the the early uh, both, like you said. The club days and the the early MTV days and stuff. So uh, I can appreciate that. And yeah, the that's the great thing. I I remember your your series, but also uh, I guess slash slash Maraud, right? Uh, something that I want to say Paul Galassi did that also had kind of it was set in the future, but definitely was influenced. Oh by, yeah, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. music, you know, yeah, and I mean, so your your uh, your series was set a uh, hundred years in the future now, about sixty five years, twenty eighty six. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, great, you know, action. Uh, these women, obviously, as as it says, you know, fashion and action. But yeah, this kind of espionage team that would go in and uh, uh, mess, you know, fight the fight the good fight, yeah, save the world, and dress well in the process. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, right, right. And and the and the stuff. It's funny. I mean, you know, um, obviously, what's in what's in style at the moment can look very. I mean, we. It's easier to pick on the on the seventies with leisure suits right away. You know, mm -hmm. and that stuff. But I mean, the great thing is that there was at the same time a very new look, but also it was a lot of throwback stuff to the '40s as well, mm -hmm. which I think makes for exciting noir and, and you know yes. that kind of yes. that kind of backdrop. Yes, I, I agree. I agree a lot. Uh, one of the things I really liked about the uh, the whole the whole new music, new wave, all that period was there was a definite throwback in the in the way that. Uh, Depending on what performers or, or, or acts you would see or the album design, there was a lot of emphasis uh, and influence by um, Art Deco. And uh, I would say like old Vogue covers uh, and some of the artists that was there and, and just a very a lot of extreme like bright colors, bright solid colors, geometric shapes. Uh, and this would also be used in a lot of the – and you had a lot of the performance artists. You had somebody like Klaus Nomi who had this real kind of uh, – almost again this almost dada dadaist type appearance and and very graphic and very and very angular and uh and some of the uh, again you know this again would be it just played really well into this combination of of past and future uh in you know the presentation and, and you know movies like blade runner i mean you had uh the deckard character you know, in this kind of futuristic landscape, but he's wearing like a detective trench coat, you know, like, sure. like Bogart, except it's, you know, slightly different. And it's, you know, and it's design and the lapels and et cetera. You know, what was it like working uh, with Eclipse and uh, First and, and some of those those great 80s publishers? First is back, but I know it's a whole new group of people. And I've, and I've actually had people like John Ostrander and Mike Grell and Mike Goldon to talk about you know their their times. I still haven't had Tim on, mm -hmm. but tell tell me uh, tell I, again first. Uh, it was at Eclipse, um, correct? Or or was was your work first? Well, you said uh, your first thing. First was thing Tim I was did was first. was first, but that was mostly working with. Uh, you know, I was working through Tim, and uh, and I did have one visit to the. Uh, in fact, my first visit to a comic office was the um, first offices in the, in uh, Chicago. And you know yeah, that was a, in Chicago proper. Yeah, and that was a great deal. You know, that was a big, big deal to me. I mean, I'll never forget it. It was very exciting. And you know, first office I ever walked into was Mike Gold's, and we had all the artwork for uh, the, the the pencils already for Time Beavers to show them. And it was just a you know it was a wonderful experience for me, uh, my first time uh, doing something like that. Now, when I was working with Eclipse, uh, they were out in uh, uh, Forestville, California. And I was living on the East Coast, so I really did not get out to their actual location. But you know, we would so we worked through the phone and and correspondence, uh, sure. and uh, I it was wonderful. I mean, Cat was always extremely uh, enthusiastic about fashion and action. Cat um, Ironwood. Uh, pardon? How do you say her name? Is it Ironwood? Yeah, I believe it's Ironwood. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but uh, she, uh, I, I may, I, I'm not. I, that's what I've always thought it was pronounced as. I, me too. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. It's been a while, but I always, I always figured it was Ironwood. But, uh, 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 but anyway, um, you know, she was great to work with because, you know, again, the process is so different now. You know, because of uh, the way we communicate. But, but then, I mean, you literally, I would, I would rough out the uh, story. And, and you know the script and I would mail it and then she would mail back you know her suggestions and that's just how we worked and you know she always had very few suggestions to make because she liked the direction it was going in her suggestions were always very helpful but she was always very uh, positive in what I was doing with the material so you know it was really a, a, a great I mean there was a real uh, encouragement to continue in whatever direction I was going in you know, there was never a, oh, we don't want you to do this or do that. You know, it was more like, you know, do, if you want to go in this direction, go in this direction, you know. And so yeah, there was this just this tremendous sense of freedom, and there was a absolute respect towards, you know, uh, retaining ownership of the characters and, and, you know, that it was a creator-owned thing. I mean, it was really a it was really a great experience, especially for my first time in, you know, working in the field. I mean, it was an absolute... Uh, uh, delight. I mean, what more could I say? And and you know, it was very exciting at the time because Eclipse had a lot of other really great books coming out, and uh, a lot of great art. So you know, there was this real. To me, it was always like this. Um, you know, you wanted to. I mean, for me personally, I always wanted to try to do my absolute best. You know, because I felt like not only Eclipse, but First and some of the other companies as well. There was some really great stuff coming out, and there was a real enthusiasm. Uh, again, I think driven in fact, and driven in part by the fact that you know everybody was doing their own thing. I mean, there were a lot of people were doing creator-owned stuff. So you know, you really, you really, and, and again, when you're doing creator-owned stuff, you can take the your work in any direction you want. So you know, again, there's this just tremendous energy, and it was just a great, a great, great period to start out in. No, you're right. I mean, Scout obviously spoke for itself. Great series. You had, uh, you know, things like Grimjack and John Sable at first. Mm-hmm. At Eclipse, you had things like uh, Miracle Man was coming out through them. I loved uh, Chuck Dixon's Airboy and, in fact, his crossover with The Prowler. I remember that mm-hmm. well. Um, no, it was a really great time in that 80s period of direct market. And just uh, uh, much like today, I mean, I, I don't know how often you go into – direct market stores today, but my God, it's, I mean, it really is, it's very reminiscent of the way the 80s were, um, more color comics, and certainly uh, Fashion and Action was a color comic, but, uh, you know, during the black and white period as well, no, there was, a, I think, a lot of creator-owned stuff. I should ask, is time was Time Hamsters, was it Time Hamsters? No, it was uh, close, it was Time Beavers, actually. Time Beavers. <laughs> was that kind of a Ninja Turtles kind of knockoff. You know, I uh, I I think Tim. Well, that was that was Tim's uh, uh, creation, and it was uh, it was it, it coming from Tim. It was believe me, it was it was Tim's thing. I mean, it was it was something <laughs> of his own of his own creation. I don't think it was necessarily inspired by the turtles. I think it was it was just Tim, and 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 just something straight from his imagination. But it was this okay. uh, it was this, again futuristic kind of outer space adventure about these uh these uh group of uh kind of military type of course because it's tim military type based like uh uh talking beavers that were you know part of the great they helped defend the great uh the great dam of time and you know it was this, it was this great dam that was made up of various parts of you know of of you know parts of the like the titanic or you know various biplanes or you know just all these different you know old building structures etc that you know would keep the the flow of time together, and then there were like these um, you know warrior rat types that were trying to you know bust open the dam. And I mean it was great. I mean it's it, it was Hilarious. an absolute blast to work on. Again, oh I'm sure. Yeah, I mean it was great fun. I mean you can you know the the copies of it are still floating around on eBay and such, and you can check it out. I still have a great affinity for those characters. Would love to do something with them again. I've always brought it up to That's Tim any time I see it. You know, see him. You know. <laughs> So and we love to kid about it too because we had a lot of fun doing it and um, yeah and uh, you know the funny thing about it too is I believe technically because of when we did it and the time period that we did it in I think it's considered to be one of the first American uh, published graphic novels actually 
because oh, wow. that because that awesome. because first was I believe the first company that was actually putting out the the trade paperback you know graphic novel format. I believe we were preceded by Beowulf, which I think was by Jerry Bingham. Uh, yeah, and then we came right after that. So you know, again, it was it's it's kind of funny in retrospect to look back on it, but it it actually is was kind of like being a little part of history, uh, working with Tim on that. Absolutely. So for for fashion and action, how many pages uh, in Scott would you get on issue? Uh, well, let's see. The way we had it figured out initially, we were going to do a split book, but uh, but then. Um, as we got more involved with it, uh, it was gonna—I was gonna end up doing eight pages per issue, okay. and I believe we were looking at a seven to eight issue run initially, just to see how it was gonna turn out. So, I was inspired by what Archie Goodwin uh, and uh, Walt Simonson had done on Manhunter, and I liked the idea of the possibility of instead of having these little eight-page vignettes, uh, having one long story, so, uh, excuse me, told in eight-page installments. Understood. So, yeah. so, you know, in my mind, it wasn't like, well, I've only got eight pages to work with. It was like, oh, I'm going to do like this 64-plus uh, page story. And, sure. And so I had it kind of almost in mind as a, as a graphic novel, as a, you know, an extended graphic novel to start out yeah. with. So that was kind of my concept uh, going in. And then once we got into one or two issues, I can't remember how this idea came about, but, you know, got the, got the idea of uh, doing the paper dolls on the back cover. Mm-hmm. And that's and we started. I started doing those, I believe, with the second or third issue, and that was great fun too. That's excellent, and I'm sure. Did I mean you know did it did it create a very specific fan base based on those paper dolls? How did that? You know, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but there is definitely uh, uh, yes. I mean, yeah, a lot of people really love uh, the paper doll. Uh, just everything about paper dolls. I mean, it's a sure. It, and and you know, I've come to learn quite a bit about it. Um, so yes, I definitely have people that uh, that like the series, but they they really like the paper dolls as in and of themselves as well. That was what was interesting because yeah, I mean, and again, I appreciate the parallels of what's going on now, and I think that a lot of image books try to put in any sort of bonus content they can mm-hmm. on their creator owned books, and I think it's happening at some of the other publishers as well. And uh, no, yeah, I think your paper dolls are a perfect example. It's cool that for the Kickstarter campaign and the hardcover that you guys are uh, hoping to create, uh, you've got an article from Trina Robbins on the history of paper dolls, which is awesome. Right. Yeah, I'm really honored that she uh, is involved with this. And and actually, she's written a very nice piece about uh, uh, and and managed to do in a very – a very concise way uh, a history of of paper dolls. I've always been a fan of Trina's work and – and uh, it's just great to have her on board. We have uh, Martha Thomas's uh, writing a piece as well, uh, who's the creator of Dakota North, and yes. uh, she's doing a, a little thing about the history, uh, a piece about the history of the way uh, il- you know, the way fashion has been illustrated, you know, throughout the decades, or are not illustrated, you know, and, and and she's done a fantastic job as well. It's really a thrill to have them both on board. That's fantastic, and John uh, John Ostrander as well. You're Suicide Squad uh, collaborator. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have him on board as well. Yeah, that's excellent. I want to talk about Suicide Squad with you uh, in a second, but um, no, this is. I really think this is a great project. I'm really glad that. Um, I don't know how you uh, how it happened with you and Hope Nicholson putting this together. Did she approach you? Did you approach her? We uh, we actually uh, ended up being table mates at the 2014 Washington D.C. Awesome Con. And okay. uh, I can remember distinctly uh, as she had already had her table set up, and I was I was on the end uh, table, and I was walking up, and I saw her Nelvana of the Northern Lights display, the uh, character yep. that, that this was the first book that she was working on, and she had out all the material with the uh, the guest artwork that had been done for the Kickstarter. She had uh, prints made of that. She had a uh, booklet which had a lot of the uh, you know which was like a sample preview of some of the Golden Age material. It also included a uh, a bio of the original uh, artist and creator uh, John Dangle, and, mm-hmm. or Adrian Dangle rather, and he uh, oh. and what I got from that was uh, I just immediately hit it off talking with uh, with Hope. I mean, she just has a genuine enthusiasm for uh, the medium and uh, a real respect and, and attention to detail, and and the historical aspect of of Golden Age work, 
And you know, of and for me, it was equally what was even more fascinating was I don't really know a lot about the Canadian uh, Golden Age comic world, and so you know, it was a learning experience for me. So in the process of us talking, you know, it was just it, it was just kind of like it kind of came together that at some point I just ended up bringing up fashion and action, and uh, you know, bringing up that I had done something that you know, again, I was thinking of of my series in an archival sense because. You know, I've got to face the fact that it was 30 years ago, <laughs> and uh, and you know that that you know it's oh my gosh, you know this really is kind of a, a place in time, and um, and so as we began to discuss it, and I began to tell her about it more, you know we we started to strike up the idea of doing something with fashion and action in the future. That's excellent, and I'm really glad to see this stuff come back, and I really hope that you guys reach your goal. You've got um, as we're recording this. Uh, just over a week left, um, nine days as we're recording. I hope to get this out uh, the following night. Uh, but you are about uh, just – you're looking for um, – or no, yeah, that's right. You're looking for just under uh, 20,500. Right. And uh, you're you're about, you know, four th- about uh, four, four and a half thousand uh, away. We're getting close. So that's pretty good. And, yeah, I mean – it's it sounds like it's going to be a great volume mm-hmm. um you know again those essays that we mentioned the series itself two specials in addition to that um and uh you know i mean it's it i think it's really a, a great like you said it's a great moment in time to reflect back and i'm glad that hope i know she's been like kind of pouring through not only the history of canadian comics but also just some of these great 80s comics that just did kind of become I don't know if you call them lost. I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously, you moved on to other things. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming based on the success of what you were doing with Tim mm-hmm. and then got the opportunity to to work with John on, on Suicide Squad. I know that was a little bit later because I forget who the original um, artist was. I believe I, I – when I, I – I can't recall uh, who – exactly how many other people had worked on Squad, but I believe uh, the one name that comes to mind is Luke McDonald. And yes, uh, he was just a, a fantastic artist, and uh, he, I believe he was working with Carl Kiesel. I mean, they're a terrific team, and uh, I, I believe I, I think he may have been working with some other anchors as well. But those are the two names that come to mind. That's excellent. How long did you work on Suicide? I Why? did. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. I believe I, I worked on it uh, roughly under a year. I think I did about eight or nine issues altogether. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And was it, you know, did Mike Gold bring you over? I mean, was it was it based on cuz it really seems like there's that group that I always associate and it's Tim and Mike Gold and Mike Grell, John Ostrander, you know, uh the, you know, uh the, yeah, those are I All think the first, first guys. Yeah, and and yeah. who went on to to DC and other things. Um exactly. uh, Eclipse and all that. Uh well, actually at the time, uh, I as I recall, um I believe Kim uh, had a, a, a something to do with that. Kim Yale, because, you know, Kim and John were working on Suicide Squad together. And Absolutely. Kim was a big fan of my work on... Uh, John's, uh, I just want to say for the listeners, Kim Kim Yale was uh, was John's wife and co-collaborator, like you say, on, on Suicide Squad. Yes, yes. And and uh, Kim, you know, was a, a tremendous, uh, uh, enthusiastic, uh, just uh, had just so much energy and, and was so enthusiastic about... You know anything that she really, really loved, and and she was so enthusiastic about my work. I mean, she was a big fan of fashion and action, and and it was always uh, so gratifying uh, the enthusiasm she had for my work. So I can't help but think she was of of some influence, uh, you know, to to have me on board. So I the way that all started was I got a call from John one afternoon. And John asked if I'd be interested in working on Suicide Squad, and I, I, you know, it kind of surprised me because it was something that was uh, that I had not really, you know, I hadn't really given it any thought. I had been working at, uh, you know, Eclipse, and I'd been doing stuff over at, uh, I'd been working on Grendel over at Kamiko, and I was uh, eventually going to be working on Classics Illustrated for first, so I hadn't really even thought about doing anything for DC, and um, and I was, I just, you know, I. I was like, sure. <laughs> I mean, it sounded like a really, I mean, it sounded like a really cool concept. I really liked the idea of it being these kind of um, down on their luck supervillains, you know, that were incarcerated. I love the Amanda Walla character. I mean, it was just absolutely, you know, I mean, it was, and, and the thing about it is too, is that um, 
John and Kim's scripts were just, they were excellent. I mean, they were so uh, well-written, and uh, there was a certain amount of uh, humor, and it was a great mix of humor and adventure, uh, and it had this, like, little, these kind of uh, uh, great undertones of uh, political, political spy sort of espionage, uh, oh, yeah. Sort of, and, and a little bit of political commentary in there, but it was all done. Uh, it was just all beautifully put together. I mean, it was just, and, and really, I, I think that was the thing that was a real joy about working on those uh, those issues was was working with the scripts that they would put together. I mean, they were just great to read through, and they gave me so much great stuff to draw. I mean, the brief period I worked on it, uh, I first off I started in the first thing I did was be part of this. Um, uh, interlocking various other uh, issues, this thing called the Janus Directive. So it was like uh, yes. tied in with like a Checkmate and uh, Captain Adam and a couple of other books. So, you know, right off the bat, I was drawing like, I don't know how many characters you can fit in a panel, but I gave it my best shot. <laughs> and uh, and it was, you know, that was a lot of fun because even for a crossover, it had all these political undertones and, and all this kind of like uh, uh, interagency inter spy backstabbing going on. And then over the top of it, you had, you know, Cobra trying to destroy or take over the world, one of the two or both. I can't quite recall. But, but you know, I mean, it just had all this great stuff in it. And it was so much fun to draw. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I was just doing the layouts at the time, but I had um, both Pablo Morcos and um, – and uh, Carl Kiesel coming in and doing the finishes. So that was like a wow. dream to me. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, just really, really neat stuff. And, and then later on, you know, we, we had the series move on to Apocalypse. So all of a sudden I'm drawing Dark Side and, you know, the, the um, oh gosh, uh, you know, Lashina and, you know, uh, Granny Goodness. I mean, it was just yes. absolutely, I mean, you know, what could you, what, could, what more could you ask for, you know, the forever people? I mean, it was just a, it was really a blast to work on. That's excellent. Were you a fan of the Kirby stuff when it was coming oh, out? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, when uh, Kirby went over to D.C. and they started coming out with the Fourth World books, I thought that was, you know, that was the biggest deal uh, when they did sure. the, um, you know, when they started putting out. And it, it's funny, uh, getting back to the Golden Age, uh, I think that's really one of the first places where I started to actually learn about, uh, learn a lot about and be able to read a lot of Golden Age stuff because, when they had the 25 cent issues and they expanded the page count, they started putting mm -hmm. uh, some of Jack Kirby's older DC work in the back of the, like the, you know, the, the, the magazine. So that was my first chance to get to read like uh, uh, the newsboy Legion and, and the Manhunter book, the Manhunter material that he did, yes. the golden age. And that was a, that was a huge influence on me too. I mean, that was just great stuff. So That's excellent. No, and I agree. And it's true. We were really lucky uh, that period and also the 80-page uh, Giants and the 100-page Spectaculars mm -hmm. would have a lot of Golden Age and Silver Age stuff in there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how I became aware of a lot of Golden Age stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't blame you. That's cool. Who were some of your other uh, Golden Age art influences? Well, uh, I'll tell you – well, let's see. It's uh, it's kind of hard to describe. I'm, I'm trying to think of um, – I – let me uh, think here for a second. I liked uh, when they would do the uh, Justice Society reprints. So there would be a, a number of different artists that you would get to see, uh, and and sometimes you know they didn't have them always uh, labeled, so it was kind of hard to tell. But I remember really uh, liking Joe Kubert's early work. It had this real kind of edge to it. Um, of course, a major influence to me was uh, seeing any of Alex Toss' early work. Absolutely. And uh, and of course Kirby. Uh, I also liked the. Uh, on the other hand, I on, over the timely stuff that would get reprinted, I immediately would recognize any of Bill Everett's work. Uh, sure. That always was great to see as well. And uh, I was like the uh, some of the other guys that had uh, had very very studied line work. Like uh, I believe uh, Joe Manili, for example, his Black Knight work, which is a little later than Golden Age, but just really wonderful stuff. That's cool. No, absolutely, man. That's great. And I agree with you. I, it's fun to compare Kubert's uh, 40s style to what, you know, came in the 50s and then certainly the, you know, 60s throughout the end of his career. Um, in fact, uh, C2E2 just happened, the uh, uh, Chicago convention, and I was going through um, some of the reader copy bins. And look, really, I do kind of seek out 
uh, a lot of Silver Age uh, and Bronze Age Kubert covers, and he had done so many, mm-hmm. not just for the war books, but even for uh, the superhero books as well. Mm-hmm. And and really, I don't care. I mean, I really just love looking at those covers, and it's it was it's worth it for me to buy a stack of moldy, you know, our army at war or whatever, even from the from the sixties or late fifties to see that stuff. But yeah, in those reprints, you know, like his Hawkman, that Hawkman mask was so different than what he ended up coming up with uh, in the Silver Age. There's a there's a certain uh, what it, one of the things I like about the Golden Age. I think when I was younger, I always liked the fact that it was pre-code stuff. So you know, it was a True. little more violent and, uh, and a little more, you know. So it was like you know, it was, it was you know, it wasn't underground or anything like that, but it was no. like pre-code. So there was always you know, when you were a kid, that was always kind of like, ah, you know, this is. You know, it is what it is, you know, and um, yeah, it was more dangerous. Right, exactly. It was more like, you know, getting back to the pulps, you know, it was more like the old Shadow and Doc Savage pulps where you have, you know, the bad guys are really bad, you know. And um, but the other thing about it, too, is, is that there's a certain, I think, um, abandon that you find in the Golden Age work where it's just a real anything goes. And, you know, if you want like a giant airship with a little airplanes flying out of it, great. You know, if you want you know, legions of uh, gargoyles, you know, attacking, it's like fine, you know, and it, and it's, it's all figured out like in one to two panels. And so, you know, there's, there's this real freedom uh, to just kind of do anything and everything. And there was, you know, usually a lot of the, a lot of the golden age stories were told in a very short space of pages. You know, you normally didn't have a full length book. You had something, you had like a series of three, eight page stories. So, you know, I think when I was doing fashion and action, I think this was an influence on me too to have this kind of anything goes and you know, how much can you put in just a short period of time, you know, a short period of pages. You know, so I think it kind of followed through into my own work was uh, was, you know, that enjoyment of that golden age work. Tremendous. No, that's awesome. And uh I yeah, with the time left, I certainly hope people do come out and uh, check out uh, the Kickstarter campaign that you've uh, you've got going. I know another uh, a series that pa- followed Fashion in Action was uh, you worked on Grendel with uh, Matt Wagner. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about your collaborations with Matt, and I know it, it continued the, through uh, even a new version of Doctor Midnight. Speaking of the Golden yeah. Age, but uh, yeah, I uh, uh, Matt and I worked on uh, we. Uh, I was contacted by Diana Schutz and asked if I was uh, would want to work on Grendel, and at the time it was funny. I thought. Uh, I thought I was being uh, contacted because I was doing fashion and action, and um, since Grendel was at that time Christine, the Christine Spar character, I remember uh, thinking, oh, they want me to draw Christine Spar. I get it. And I called up Matt, and I said, so you want me to do Christine Spar? And he's like, no, we kill, we're going to kill her off. And <laughs> I remember being kind of shocked by that because I, I figured that was going to be who Grendel was going to be from sure. here on out. And I was, I was, the combination was kind of shocked, and then I go. Like, oh, that's wow! This is great. I can't wait to work with this guy, you know, because then he, again, he has this anything goes type of attitude. And then that's when, you know, he presented this, you know, to to Jay and myself, Jay Galdoff, who ended up working with me on it, and later Bernie Moreau. Uh, this incredible. I mean, not only was it not Christine Spar in present day or, or slightly ahead in the future, it was this giant sprawling epic. You know, involving um, you know the, the, this kind of decrepit uh, you know giant church, Catholic church, and the and the you know this incredibly corrupt government and and kind of post our post apocalyptic world, you know, and and just this amazing uh, vast array of characters and politics and and uh, I loved it. I mean, it was just I mean one of the best times I ever had working. And uh, and, it, and again, it was an extension of a lot of what I was doing in fashion and action, which was you know just a lot of kind of tongue-in-cheek futuristic stuff that had this kind of underlying commentary going on throughout. That's awesome. It was that that was Grendel Prime, right? Or uh no, was that it, was Epi Thatcher, who was oh. uh who uh was a um it, again, he was like a caricature. I wanted to do like a super super depressed character, you, you know, but like he always walk around with a, a sandwich board saying God hates me. You know, and just so it'd be a complete <laughs> You know, complete over-the-top version of you know, like a, I guess I guess today you would call that an emo character. I don't know, but but I mean, it was it was it was real funny because it was really it was like a, a tongue-in-cheek thing. But you know, really in retrospect, um, he was kind of a right-on-time character himself. I mean, he was kind of like a I guess you could perceive him as a, a sort of goth. 
uh, almost even into like a, a Kurt Cobain type of character. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And this was yeah, God and the Devil. Right. Was mm-hmm. the was the story arc ran from uh, issue twenty four to issue thirty three. Right. Very cool. Um, no, I you know the various iterations of Grendel. Yeah, I mean you know Matt explores that stuff. I'm I'm a big fan of Matt's. It's uh, it's too bad. I would have liked to have seen you guys do something on Batman because I think he's a great writer. And uh, I don't know how often, if even with some of those DC crossovers, you got a chance to draw Batman. No, no. Mm-mm. That's too bad. I know you did some Green Lantern work. Right. I worked with uh, Steve Siegel on a um, uh, Golden Age Green Lantern uh, one-shot called uh, Blackest yes. Day, Brightest Night. Yes, uh, with, uh, uh, but, with Solomon Grundy, right? Uh, Alan Scott and Solomon Grundy. Wasn't yeah, it, was that was Solomon fantastic. Grundy? That was a great fun. Wasn't it his first, supposedly his first Solomon Grundy? Yeah, we, uh, we had the uh, creative license at the time to go ahead and retell uh, the first encounter between uh, Alan Scott and Solomon Grundy, and that was great fun. And again, that was a lot of fun, too, because I went back and looked at the original appearance, uh, original appearance uh, which I believe was written by, uh, drawn by Morton Adele. And, I was going to ask you if you ever had a chance to see Mr. Nodell. You know, uh, thankfully, uh, I actually not only had a chance to meet with uh, uh, him after I had finished uh, the book, but we actually have a we actually sat and signed copies of it together. And, That's great. Uh, you know, it was with him and his wife at his table, and I actually That's got great. him to sign one for me, and I just treasure it. I hear you, man. No, I I got to meet him before he passed, and he's he was a Chicago guy. He worked at Leo Burnett, the great ad agency. Oh, okay. Here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, have a couple of original sketches from from Martin O'Dell before he passed. And no, very cool guy. And truly, my favorite Green Lantern always was. I love that costume. It, it's a, it's a the, great costume, and, and it yeah. it lends itself to uh, being very illustrative. It's a very, it's very art. You know, very, you're getting back to the Art Deco thing. I mean, and the fashion thing once again. I mean, if mm-hmm. if if you get a chance to be able to spend a little time rendering the costume, you can really get ornate with it and and very designy. And uh, with the color and stuff, and and it was a real, it was really a lot of fun to work on. There was some of the some of the work that I did in that. I'm I'm, I'm just really pleased with how I was able to um, get that kind of. There's a there's something about his costume where you when you're rendering it, if you render it in a, in a certain kind of way, you can really get across that kind of uh, otherworldly. Uh, not so much like uh, you know the uh, Hal Jordan, like another planet, but more of like a, a mystical, you know, sort of uh, a vibe, you know, with the cape and 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 just his and the way that I would actually have the the light from his ring be more of almost like an Art Deco, Art Nouveau type of uh, wave type of lines and such. That's fantastic. That's that's really great. No, I've always I was always a big Alan Scott fan. I think the first thing I read going back to those. 100-page spectaculars, they reprinted a, a showcase from the 60s that featured Dr. Fate and Our Man, and, at the, and it was with Solomon Grundy, and at the end of the story, Green Lantern just makes this cameo. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. That's not the brown-haired guy in the green and white. <laughs> I outfit. remember those. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, Earth 2. Oh, okay. Right. And like, and really, I mean, he it, it had that, like, in the same way that Captain Marvel, both in the movie serial and, and in those early 40s comics, just had that really decorative, like you say, I mean, the, the, the cape and uh, it, the purple backed with, you know, the red and green of uh, of his outfit and everything. And, and yeah, like, and I, I like that, that you, you even used his green energy in an Art Deco sort of uh, way. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a, I'm a big Alan Scott fan. I, that's why Earth 2, they, they revamped the Justice Society. And uh, Nicholas Scott, who's a hell of an artist, mm-hmm. you know, gave them all modern costumes. But it's like, oh man, so many of those great Justice Society costumes are are so you know classic and in their design. And I wonder if, as you approached the third version of Doctor Midnight with uh, back with Matt Wagner, um, how much you wanted to change, but also retain of the original costume. Well, uh, you know, it's again, this is. Uh, it's a good question because uh you know when we first uh, started working on it I really wanted to keep the uh the feel of I mean we we really did it as a modern day pulp and in mm-hmm. fact uh, I think uh, one of my you know when I was first talking it over with Matt I mean one of the ideas I had was this combination of you know who is Dr. Midnight going to be and it was like he was going to be almost like a a doc savage type but like an urban doc savage where he would be um where he would have operatives, but his operatives would be like uh, people of the streets, 
and cool. um, and so you know, but the whole concept is is that not quite as um, as uh, uh, as uh, brawny as as Doctor Mid uh, as Doctor as Doc Savage, but more you know more of an intellectual, maybe a little more slight of build, and and um, and a little more mysterious, and so. But at the same time, you know, the original Dr. Midnight costume is pretty cool. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, you don't and, – and I guess the, my attitude about this sort of thing is that, uh, you know, if it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. And, but at the same time, you know, there's ways to there's, – there's a way to approach these things uh, in, in costume design where you can um, keep uh, – retain the original look, just make some – just make – some slight variations and and still retain that original feel so you know again you know with dr midnight uh you know it was kind of like well you know kind of darken them up a little bit you know instead of the bright green cape and the bright red tunic um you know and the bright brown boots you know kind of turn down the tones you know give them a give them a dark blue give them a, like an overall dark blue appearance turn the red more mm-hmm. of a dark maroon Kind of a metallic shape, and uh, cool. you know, and yeah, so, yeah. so you know, so the approach to designing that was like to have it to where you know it's the Doctor Midnight, you know, of the '40s, but you know it's it's updated as well. And you know, it's really neat that uh, you know we had this. This came out back in 1999, and it's at least up to present day. Uh, here it is. It's been. Um, uh, 17 years, and they've kept that that version, the Peter Cross character, and they've That's, kept that. You know, uh, you know, there's other artists that have modified the design that I initially came up with, but everybody kind of keeps within. I think one of the reasons that everybody's kind of stuck with it is because it's just a very slight variation, and you know, everybody's come up with their own take on it, but it still stays within the realm that you recognize that that is Doctor Midnight, that you know, the same Doctor Midnight from the 40s. Absolutely, and he was of color. Am I correct? Wasn't he of color? Uh, uh, no. Uh, oh, excuse me. All right. Uh, I, there was I, a I'm version. There was a female version of Doctor Midnight. Right. Then, yeah, that was the Infinity Inc. Right. version. Mm-hmm. Now that mm-hmm. I think of it, so yeah. Uh, but I do know, and uh, also I had I had to look it up because I remember, you know, post your guys' miniseries, which was like a three issue prestige format series back in '99. No, they used him a lot, like you say, in the last 17 mm-hmm. years. Uh, an important part of uh, Brad Meltzer's identity crisis story. Mm-hmm. She, you know, Doctor Midnight's the one who kind of does the autopsy and figures out uh, who, you know, the killer of Sue Dibney is, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, like little moments like that. And you know, the good news is I'm hearing that the JSA might be coming back. So uh, hopefully, hopefully Peter Cross is yeah, part of that. Yeah, that'd be great to see. Absolutely, man. No, that's that's terrific. And um, Really, I, I can't I can't uh, point people to the Kickstarter more and let them know how much uh, I I like uh, the look of Fashion in Action. Um, it's uh, it's clearly a throwback to that, like we said, the new. It's a combination of espionage and noir with a sci-fi feel, and there's a lot of great influences here of classic design, but also new design as well. The uh, we're, we're like I said, we're we're about a week left in the uh, in the opportunity to pledge. So uh, we'll point people online to uh, the Kickstarter. But if you're listening and, and you know just want to Google Kickstarter and uh, John K. Snyder the Third, you will uh, find the Fashion in Action uh, project, and uh, hopefully you will back it. But uh, what's what's going on uh, beyond that? What are you what are you doing these well, days? Well, uh, actually, uh, I'm uh, and I just want to mention too that Hope's done a wonderful job of putting together the uh, the Kickstarter. I think just to, if people get a chance, just take get take a look at it and look at the. Uh, you get a great idea of everything that's in it, uh, of the series. She wrote a great overview for it. We have a lot of great incentives, uh, art incentives, things that I've done for the project and, and other artists. And, and um, you know, it's just a, a tremendous uh, privilege to be working with Hope. I th- just think she's had a, a great vision on how to uh, represent this to a new audience and, and people that remember it from the past. So, you know, I just can't say enough good things about, you know, what she's done with it. And it's just a real pleasure to be working with her and her group, uh, Bedside Press, and, and putting this together. And I do want to, you know, say to people, please, uh, please do check it out and see what you think. 
But uh, forgive me, did you did you co-create Amanda Waller? On, uh, uh, no, I did so? not. No, uh, I was uh, going to say I didn't think so. Yeah, no, no. But I, you know, but uh, but it, it, it was great drawing her. I was it was great to work on her. Yeah. Well, and I noticed that there's uh, uh, one of the pledges, and it's one of the one of the big ticket items, but uh, an original pencil and an ink page, uh, and and both are available right now still of uh, uh pages from uh, Suicide Squad 31 which did feature Amanda Zori. Yeah, it was uh it they uh John and Kay, uh John and Kim would have these uh personal files issues which would spotlight various characters from the series and this one was a spotlight on Amanda Waller. So I got to draw actually her her early years, you know, growing up That's and, awesome. and all that. And that was a great that was great to work on. That was one of my favorite comics to uh, work on and I penciled and inked those pages and I've held on to them for well, I've had them almost 30 years now, and uh, I just thought, you know, if there was ever a time and place to uh, put them up, now is the time, you know, to an audience that I think that could really appreciate it, and so they're up on the uh, Kickstarter as well if uh, people want to check them out. Yeah, and I think at a very reasonable pledge mm-hmm. that you know, if you get if you got cash to burn, man, I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> it's uh, just over 500 uh, U.S. dollars. I have a feeling with the movie coming up soon. That uh, this is even going to go up even more in, in value and stuff. Yeah. I mean, certainly Amanda has been well uh, documented in uh, the TV shows, and of course, also unfortunately in the Green Lantern movie. But you know, uh, I think she's a great character. I mean, again, it's you know, it's a, a another oper- a great opportunity I've had to work on a strong female character that's well known in comics, and I, I really, you know, I just I've always enjoyed uh, uh, drawing her, and I was especially fond of that issue. So yeah, I, I, those are really nice pages. I thank you that, for bringing it up. Absolutely, and and also, you know, I'm really I'm really glad you brought up Kim Yale because. I don't think people remember her, and she was a real-life strong female character back in comics uh, when when she and John were collaborating. And I always feel, I, and I'm sure you know it's been enough years, but but it's you know the kind of thing where I've had John on the show a few times, and it's like you know you don't want to talk about his widow and and, and do it with any like or, or hurt the guy. But I'm sure too, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it would bring nothing but great memories and give him a chance to. Well, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, uh, really. When I'm working on this book, I think about uh, working on this Kickstarter project. I think about Kim a lot. I mean, really, because Kim was a, uh, you know, a real uh, big supporter of my work, and um, she was a big fan of the series. And I, you know, I kind of feel like she's kind of a, 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 you know, she's there in some respect with this project. I mean, I, 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 it really does feel like um, I know that she would be thrilled. That we were doing this, and um, and so you know she's definitely in my thoughts uh, when I'm putting this together. But but you know it's funny I was uh, you know I've talked with Hope about this too. I mean we've got you know there's a real legacy of women uh, that have been involved in comics, and um, you know and sometimes uh, just like we're talking about these '80s books that get lost. I mean I think unfortunately people tend to forget you know both male and female the people that have worked in this field. And, uh, you know, it's really, uh, and, you know, the thing is, is that everybody kind of loses out by that lack of, uh, that lack of history. So, you know, any chance you can get to bring up somebody that was a driving force in this field at any given period is, it's always a, a good opportunity, uh, not only to honor their memory, but to, you know, influence the young people today and, and give them a sense that, you know, hey, you're involved in something that has a real sense of history. You know, you're not alone in this. And, and there have been others before you. There have been women in comics that have, you know, gone out there and, and tried to make an impact and, and had an impact. And and uh, so, you know, it's it's not like you're you're starting out in something where you're all alone. You you actually have a history uh, behind you. But you know, it's hard sometimes to get that message out. You know, so you know, I, I really appreciate you bringing her up because it's a great opportunity to get a chance to talk to her and uh, talk about Kim. And, you know, frankly, you know, the, doing something like this project uh, gives me a chance to talk about her a little bit more uh, again, too, because uh, she was a very, um, very influential and uh, very positive force uh, in this field. I always felt that way when whenever there would be text pieces in first comics and, and people like John and Mike Gold would talk about Kim. So that's that's great. That's really cool. And, you know, Hope is one of those people, too, that is uncovering a lot of 
these these women, like we said, that, that have been forgotten. What do you think of the current incarnations of the Suicide Squad that have been popping up on TV? And we've got the movie coming up in August as well. I think it's fantastic. I'm very excited to see. Uh, uh, I know John is real happy about it. And again, as I want to bring up Kim, I know Kim will be absolutely thrilled. And uh, I think it looks really uh you know, again, I think people, you know, you're used to wanting to see what you saw in the comics, but, you know, things just, they change, they, metam- they metamorphosize as they get onto the screen. I like what they're doing with it. I, particularly from an artistic point of view, one thing that I'm fond of, and this is a detail, is that I remember when John first called me to work on Suicide Squad, and I was thinking of the uh, prison that they're all uh, incarcerated in, and I just had this vision of you know the the rust and you know the, the 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 water running down the side of the concrete and the stains and the cracks in the walls and all that and and just this you know just really depicting it in this really really uh, uh run down you know the kind of place where you'd keep like a b and c supervillains you know and uh and it was real funny because um you know it's like what you have in your head and what you can actually get down on the paper back during that time period was really kind of tough because you know, we were still working with newsprint, and you, you had a process where you had the pencils, the inks, and, you know, the uh, process color. So you really couldn't get that kind of, like when I, later on when I did my painted work, you know, with like Dr. Midnight and Green Lantern and all that, I would have loved, and I've always talked, I've talked to John about this off and on the years, how great it would be to do a painted Suicide Squad project with him. Because oh, we could bring back, we could, I could actually do you know, uh, it's funny because I, here I am interested in the, co- the texture of the concrete, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a big part of getting across that feeling of these characters being trapped. Is, sure. is that is, And so, you know, when I saw the initial trailers and they're depicting the prison and it's just, it's, it's perfect. You know, it's just absolutely, I mean, you know, loose wires, you know, sparks flying, you know, there's puddles of water, you get electrocuted depending on where you walk. I mean, just a a complete downtrodden uh, uh, place, and it's just uh, to me when I first saw the trailer, I'm like, "That's it, that's that's the place." And um, I think the director, I mean, Tank, uh, uh, I believe was a movie he did was a uh, what was? Oh, did he do that, Jim? That was that that Jim Garner? Uh, no, not movie? Jim Garner. The uh, the Brad Pitt movie. Oh yes, um, Fury. Fury. Excuse me. Sorry about that. The Fury movie. No worries. That, you know it's awesome. I mean, yeah, you're, you and I are thinking. It's of this funny movie that you mentioned that, the Gardner that, movie. I'm but... guessing 80 percent of the audience that has no idea what. Right, right, right. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, wow, I know. Oh well. Anyway, um, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Fury. I just thought was uh, incredible. I mean, I just, oh, a yeah. really intense picture, and uh, uh, anyone I know that likes it, it's not a question if they like it. It's a question how many times they've seen it up to this point. And, and, um, and, you know, the funny thing about it is, I mean, again, I think, you know, it's just perfect that he's doing the Suicide Squad. I mean, when I saw that he was doing it, I was like, God, I don't know who else they would have gotten, you know. So that's cool. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really, you know, hey, I'll be first in line. I, I told John, I said, I just said, John, I don't care. If I don't care who's in the theater, I'm cheering the minute I see your name whenever it pops up. <laughs> I hear you, no, I feel the same way. And also. It would be great to see you guys. Uh, I, I really hope the movie does do well in August, because uh, you know, both for, you know, for John and uh, and also for the opportunity of yourself, it would be great to see some new Suicide Squad Squad stuff from the guys who were doing it back in its prime. Because I think you're right. You know, when we talked earlier about you know just the the the, the comedy tone of it, it was you know because there'd been there was that Secret Society of Supervillains book earlier, you know, in the seventies. But they were just kind of straight up, you know, typical kind of comics. There was no real panache to it that I think you and Luke McDonald and, and John and Kim brought to, you know, the original run. And it really was this fresh idea. And it was fun seeing these BNC villains, you know, suddenly get real characterization. Yeah, I mean, it was terrific. And, and like I said, the prison, you know, uh, Belle Reeve, it was almost like a character itself, you know. And, and um Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that's one of the reasons why... I think again. I think this is why the movie has so much potential, because they have they have picked up on and are translating onto the screen exactly what you're describing. Absolutely. It's so funny talking. To, I can't believe I called it tank. Please just remove all of that. <laughs> oh no, it's funny. I think that's funny. Honestly, I know. I know. I, I'm so. I. You know what? But you were right. 
I mean, that's what it was. It was a Brad Pitt tank. Yeah, it was a ta- it was like the movie with the tank. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, it's 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 like, a, oh yeah, that's right, the Fury, Fury, that's it, right? But well, and I had completely forgotten that he had also directed both movies. So no, man, you're you're you know. Yeah, I think that he is uh, right away. <laughs> directed. Which I don't think the guy that directed Tank directed Fury. I think no, no, and that's what, and I realized that, and that's why I think no, I'm the one that I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, it's and funny the Jim Gardner maybe. It's it. funny. I mean, it's really funny. There's a mashup uh, for you. <laughs> Exactly. Well, no, you know, honestly, a lot of my interviews, we end up talking about left field movies, uh, and uh, so, so yeah. I mean, Tank's I, a great. I, you know, Tank is a great. My grandfather loves Tank. I mean, I thought he was. I he was, and it, it was real funny because that was again. You know, this is kind of like again. This is a period that that uh, you know again. This is a, again for another interview. But one thing that that really you know you kind of got into there a little bit in the conversation. You were talking about. Um, you were talking about. Uh, uh, kind of like the the feel of the old days of the alternatives and that kind of feel now. And I feel like, you know, working with Hope and, and some of the people that have worked with me on this Kickstarter for the guest art and everything, and seeing some of the work they're doing and some of the access they have because they're getting stuff published through Kickstarter and doing things online and, and some of the stuff that's coming out from Image and, and Boom and all these other guys, that there is that vibe. It's very It's very much a sense of deja vu. And there's this real uh, creativity to do kind of kind of your own thing and so there's all these like neat little i feel like now we're getting a whole new generation of like these neat little books that are that are coming and and maybe won't get completely discovered but you know back in the 80s you still had a lot of little movies coming out and they would only show for a brief amount of time in the theater but every once in a while one of them would get like this little hit and you would get like a little following and it would stay in the theaters for a few weeks and tank was one of these little movies Yep. And it came out, and it's like, well, what the heck is this? It's like Tank, <laughs> you know? And it's got, like, Jim Garner giving a thumbs up. Well, for a lot of people back then, it's like, well, let's go to a movie. Let's go to a Jim Garner movie, because how can you lose? Absolutely. You know, he's the Rockford guy. Or, or you know, from, from further back, the Gunfighter movies, which I loved. and Oh, and, and Maverick and everything. Yeah, and so, you know, that's a neat little movie that, you know, probably couldn't get made today. Because it's like neither, it's neither fish nor fowl for... You know, being like a little independent art film, or being like you know a two hundred million dollar, you know Black extravaganza. Film. It's just Absolutely. this kind of like had a neat little script. It only needed a you know what's what are we going to need for this movie? Well, we need a tank and a few buildings we can knock over, you know, and <laughs> and you know, and we've got this really snappy dialogue with Jim Garner and and I think Sally Field, right? Is uh you know no, but I was going to say. I believe that was either right before or I, I in fact I'm certain of it it was right before Murphy's Romance. Oh that's right which is another great little movie that he did. And that, and that's the thing it's like no and you know post Rockford uh there was that period that I don't think uh studios knew what to do with Rockford or and also I mean you know he did Victor Victoria and I mean mm-hmm. he was he was steadily working you know and and everything was going great but yeah I I think Tank was kind of this like you said it was this weird little little movie, but it had a big star in Garner, and it was great to see that. You know, I, I'm a huge Garner fan. So, have yeah, you I read his uh, autobiography? Oh yeah, well, and that's <laughs> wasn't that terrific? Absolutely. Well, and also online on uh, YouTube, uh, the American Academy of Television, the people who do the Emmys, um, they have this great like three hour interview of his career, and he even gets to that animated series he did with James Woods. The God, the Devil, and I forget uh, what the civilian's name was, but he played God, and James Woods was the Devil. It was like the God, the Devil, and Joe, or whatever. Oh, I have to look called. that up. That's, that's yeah, great. And, and no, he and he even mentioned Atlantis being the king in Atlantis and stuff. I mean, he, he was great. And Twilight, he mentions Twilight, and he's so great in that. Uh-huh. No, Garner was the man. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, that that autobiography. There's some real words of wisdom in that. I can't recall right off the top of my head, but there were a couple in there where I was like. Man, I got to remember what he just what I just read there because he's got some real, he's got a real good, um, uh, you know, he's a real, he was a real journeyman, I think, and had a real good attitude about, you know, being in the field for a long period of time, and and uh, you know, he just had a real, he was a real cool guy. There was a guy I knew uh, who, uh, there was a younger guy I knew that was a line producer for those, I think it was Verizon. He did a lot of ads for back in the, around the turn, right, like around ninety nine, two thousand. And uh, uh, a friend of mine was a line producer on those, so he got to spend a lot of time with Garner. And it really, he said it was just, he was just, an, I mean, just even talking about him, he was in awe, you know. Just, I believe it. No, I keep hearing that from people who 
have had met him over the years. And uh, one of my radio friends got to meet him on uh, in a race uh, in a car race uh, capacity. Oh, really? He's like, <laughs> yeah, he was just like exactly. And I mean, that was a big element, you know, of his down. Kind of like Newman, uh-huh. you know, he really liked racing as well. Right, right. And, and that was, you know, so that was such a huge thrill for him. And he was so nonchalant mm-hmm. about his career in the best way. Mm-hmm. And also, like you said, no, very appreciative and came up from being kind of a sideman in his early movie days, then having the big splash with Maverick and Rockford. And I agree with you, all those 60s and 70s films, and even Nichols, his uh, one-season uh, turn-of-the-century show mm-hmm. that he made. I don't know if you ever saw it. No, that. I have to look that up. It was called Nichols? Nichols. It's a really cool show where he's um, a World War One vet. It's like, you know, pre-1920, but it's kind of like Last Gasps of the West, West and he goes back oh, home. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's interesting and it really it only lasted a season. Uh-huh. He knew enough time that it was being canceled, so he did a last show mm-hmm. to kind of wrap up the series. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's very Warner Archives mm-hmm. has it on uh DVD. It's, you know, kind of their print on demand DVD service, but uh it's yeah, if you're curious, it's it's a great show. So, um what are you doing today? Oh, well, uh, uh well, right now I've uh, I it's uh, it hasn't been pub- it hasn't been formally announced yet. So I can't talk about it yet, but I'd love to talk about it with you in the future. It'll be uh, my pleasure. I will be uh I, I am finishing up work on a uh, long uh, I've been working on for quite some time now on a uh, graphic novel, it's an adaptation, and uh I'm doing the whole thing, the adaptation, all the artwork and and um it's very involved, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, wrapping it up. I can't wait for it to come out. Uh, it will be out sometime next year in 2017, cool. and it really has been uh, the main thing that I've been working on. I've I've been very uh, involved with it. Um, it's uh, very it's a very uh, involved piece that involves a lot of research, and um, it's a uh, it's a very it's a very artistically challenging. Uh, and creatively challenging project that uh, that I think is again right on time for something uh, for me to be working on. But I'm I'm uh, but I can't again I can't really talk about it right now. But it's the the main thing that I've been working on uh, for quite some time now. So, but we can talk Excellent. about it more soon. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, and you know, um, yeah, when you when you when you're ready with details, absolutely, uh, you're welcome back because uh, no, it's a pleasure to meet you. And when when Hope mentioned uh, fashion in action. And, you know, John K. Snyder, I'm like, oh, I'd love to talk to John K. Snyder. That'd be uh, awesome. Because, uh, like I said, man, going going back to The Prowler and Dr. Midnight and uh, that, that great Alan Scott story and, and Fashion in Action, it's great to talk to you and, uh, you know, let people know what you're doing now. And, yeah, man, we look forward to not only directing them to the Kickstarter, but next year's project. So do come back. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. That's John K. Snyder III. I hope you'll uh, support his Kickstarter campaign. Go to wordballoon.com, and I've got the link there to uh, the Kickstarter campaign, or, of course, you can just Google Kickstarter and uh, John K. Snyder, and I'm sure it will pop up. Fashion in Action is the series. It's a lot of fun, good spy stuff, and uh, beautiful clothes, and uh, great designs from John K. Snyder III. Hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. Uh, We've got more uh, coming for you before the end of March. Uh, Lots of excitement next week, and uh, into April as well. More guests and uh, more excitement here on Word Balloon. New timers. Uh, people that we're welcoming back, and uh, it's it's been a good uh, 2016 so far. I've been very happy. Eventually, I'll get to tell you what I thought of Batman Superman. I saw it. That's all I'm saying for now. I want you guys to uh, see it yourselves and decide for yourselves what you think. I know some people have already uh, re- revealed some reviews, and I don't know, man. I, I always just like let to let people kind of see the thing and experience it themselves. But in the weeks ahead, I'm sure that my thoughts on uh, Batman v Superman will be coming out. But uh, I hope you uh, get a chance to see it and judge for yourself. Don't uh, don't let yourself be swayed by what you read online. Um, I do think it's worth seeing whether you end up coming out of it and going, that was great or that sucked. Totally up to you. Uh, But I do think there's enough interesting things in it that makes it worth seeing regardless. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, really interesting stuff, uh, more DC stuff, more Marvel stuff, and uh, independent as well. That's what we try to do here at Word Balloon each week with each podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and come back for more in the days ahead. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.